Welcome to the O'Reilly Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Lorica, here with uh, Ryan Betts, who's the Chief Technical Officer of uh, VaultDB. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. Hi, thank you, Ben. Pleasure to speak with you on the podcast. So, Internet of Things. Uh, I think of Internet of Things as kind of this convergence of cheap sensors, large-scale distributed systems, and kind of these advances in uh, machine learning. So mm -hmm. what aspect of Internet of Things are you mainly interested in? Oh, well, of course, uh, VoltDB is a database company. We focus on supporting extremely fast, often sensor or device-oriented applications that produce vast streams of data and that want to have operational applications written against them, right? so supporting operational applications against high-velocity data feeds. When we look at IoT, we see that as really consistent with some of the other high-velocity feeds that we support applications for, whether they're you know, financial applications, manufacturing applications, gaming applications. For us, IoT is another event feed, and we look at IoT as a very broad stack, but we narrow our focus for where we fit into that stack largely to cloud-oriented database applications or SaaS applications that are running in a cloud environment that have some kind of a real-time operational component to them. They want to use the sensor data along with the analytics that have perhaps been produced from an OLAP system to support a real-time application that can improve user experience, that can make operational monitoring easier, more efficient, et cetera. So when you say cloud-oriented, uh, are you thinking about public or private cloud? Well, really both, right? I think that if you look at the trends of cloud, IoT, and big data, these are three heavily overlapping trends. They all support one another, and, and they're really not possible without the conjunction of the three. So when we think of cloud, really what we're thinking of is the, the organized central compute that's necessary to support a lot of the SaaS and PaaS-oriented IoT platforms that are being built. Now, in some cases, those can be hybrid. In some cases, they can be strictly public or strictly private. We even have customers that have embedded or essentially OEM'd VoltDB into their IoT offering. Some of those they run for people in the cloud and others they sell as boxed services and run on-prem. So when I think of this, when I use the word cloud, I'm really just thinking of that, that main compute resource that you're using, uh, not at the edge of your network, perhaps, but at the center of your network that's supporting some of those applications. You know, I just came back from China uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, there's a huge initiative there around uh, manufacturing and big data. They call it Made in China 2025. Uh, I think in other places, like in the U.S., it's called the Industrial Internet. In, in Europe, it's called Industry 4.0. But it's mm -hmm. kind of this Internet-enabled uh, manufacturing, smart factories. So is this an area that uh, you're starting to look at as well? Um, it, it is. Manufacturing hasn't been, I think, the hottest IoT vertical for us, to be honest. In some cases, uh, it's really more on, on sensor networks, on sensor grids. Uh, there, I think, though, what's interesting when we look at this is that many of the data capabilities behind these platforms are relatively similar, regardless of the vertical that these are being deployed into. And I think this is really part of the intersection of big data and IoT. If you look at the data platform that you need to build to support a lot of IoT processing, it has most of the same components as sort of what became the traditional big data stack, if we can use the word traditional big data together, maybe that's too soon. You know, so we look at this really as a, as a set of, of features that you need in your data stack, some way to, to store and analyze a very large volume of data, uh, some way to deal with high velocity data feeds, 
uh, some way to perform maybe perhaps some of the machine learning or, or non-structural analytics that, that happen depending on the use case. We see so, people combining these capabilities together. So I think that there's a, an overlap there regardless of the specific vertical or initiative. So for the people who aren't building uh, uh, data platform specific for uh, these IoT type applications, so uh, what are the particular challenges? Is it the high throughput? Is it uh, kind of the uh, need for real-time intelligence? And I think it's I think it's all of those. When you start looking at the scale of of data that's produced and it needs to be managed and acted against in an IoT platform, you sort of get forced into the new world of data. You can't solve these problems off of a single database. You're really forced to acknowledge and accept the fact that one size doesn't fit all. You have to start looking at your data infrastructure as as a coherent infrastructure assembled from multiple specialized systems. You know, I think that you'll see a lot of commonality across platforms on on some of the core systems that you need, right? You need some way to perform analytics against structured data, some way to perform, you know, perhaps like machine learning analytics against streaming data, some way to support ap operational applications against incoming events. Then you start to see specialization that's more domain specific. So I was talking, for example, to one manufacturer that makes a, a lot of memory. And when they look at their manufacturing process and they think about IoT and manufacturing for them, there's actually a lot of signal processing that goes on in the quality assurance process. So they want to compare photos off of the assembly line. They have a lot of, of visual and even in some cases audio information that they want to process as an input to their manufacturing process. So that's something that's pretty domain specific, but still they're generating the volume and the velocity of events and, and will augment that core platform with the ability to perform the domain specific analysis that's important to them. So um, for for the business user, so what, what kinds of questions are, are they able to answer using kind of uh, an operational database technology in the context of IoT? Yeah, there's a lot of fun examples around that. And some of them can be B2B and some of them can be B2C. You see people answering the same, same type of questions. And a lot of these IoT platforms, there's a lot of rule evaluation that goes on off of the real-time event feeds. One of my, I guess, my favorite approachable examples of this is if you're just thinking of a, like a smart home project in a B2C example, you might want your user to be able to take a phone out of their pocket and configure a simple rule. If it's six o'clock on a weekday and nobody's home and it's dark outside, turn on a few lights so the house doesn't look empty. Right? Well, if you're building a, essentially a smart home platform to support this, you'll have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of end users, each with their own configured roles. So as data is arriving at this platform, you need to be able to evaluate those roles. That means you have to have access to the current readings, to the current state of the house, essentially a lot of kind of operational data information that you've been assembling over the recent period of time to make that decision. And so once you can support an operational database capable of, of interacting at that level of velocity or that rate of velocity, you can begin writing applications that scale rule evaluation, for example, across a, a large number of endpoints. And you can see that those rules could be specific to a, a simple B2C example like I gave, or, or it could be something more business-oriented or, or operational-oriented or machine tracking. Right? But it's essentially the same workflow. But it's really just being able to support real-time applications that rely on the context that devices currently have along with perhaps historical context that's been gathered in combination with policies that have been authored, combining those three things together, the context, the history, and the policy to support an operational outcome in real time.
By the way, uh, one of the things that I've actually uh, started thinking about IoT is that the, uh, in many ways, uh, we have this distributed system stack that people use a lot, which mm -hmm. is great. But then I think uh, there will be IoT applications where uh, you almost have to have something that's uh, uh, packaged and ready to go and, and simple, right? So like a simple integrated stack. Because one of the things that uh, 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 I think about is, you know, you look at some of these things like airplanes or a building where, well, an airplane, for example, right? So in the future, that will generate lots of data. And maybe you need some kind of a, a data system that's inside the airplane. Yeah. That, that uh, is simpler, right? So you, it doesn't require racks and racks of machines. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And it really leads to part of the conversation that really interests me from a strategist perspective is how do all of these industries collide, right? The full IoT stack is amazingly deep, all the way from the embedded component, which is kind of where you started the conversation, the convergence of, of mobile networks, mobile computing, and I think some of the cloud services to support the aggregated data that's achieved. But how, how does that entire stack come together? Which components are going to live at the edge? Which components live at the device? You know, I, I don't know a lot about uh, airplanes. I spend a lot of my time on airplanes, but they don't actually let me close to airplane sensors. I think if you know me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I think that uh, but eventually a lot of these things, like airplanes, cars, right, generate yeah, yeah, so much a great, data. Great example that I can speak to a little more authoritatively from an oil and gas surveying piece of equipment. So uh, this uh, geological or kind of GIS surveying equipment looking for mineral opportunities or oil opportunities in the ocean was dragging this very large uh, array of sensors behind it. And these sensors, uh, the array has, I don't remember how many, but thousands of sensors. And within the density of these sensors was increasing dramatically. Of course, these ships are operating in really hostile environments and they essentially just make paths back and forth right over the ocean to survey the bottom. It turns out that the amount of data that these sensors accumulates is vast and these these ships are, of course, nowhere near a fast internet connection. They're, right. they're more or less in the middle of nowhere. So they have a lot of problems. They have problems that are local to the ship, and then they have problems that are about how do I get the data off of the ship into a data center for analysis. Some of those problems need real-time feedback. So the calibration of these sensors in real time is really important. If a sensor falls out of calibration, it means that the ship has to recalibrate it and then essentially resweep that leg. And that represents a real direct cost, both to the amount of area that the ship can uh, can scan in a day, and also because of the strict limits and the times of years that these ships can operate in these environments. You know, so there's a really interesting example. This company, in the end, was assembling a data center that would run on their ship that would have almost the full stack of what we would think of as a big data processing stack, and then the ability to move that data off of the ship to, to centralized data centers for uh, kind of a I would say like offline analysis, but but maybe not offline in traditional database sense, offline and not real time with the ship. And I, I think there's a lot of large industrial components that are going to have that problem. Another interesting example of, of where there's really a struggle in, in trade-offs is in retail. You know, we talk a lot or people hear a lot about really smart retail installations. It turns out that bandwidth from retail stores, for example, in a mall, uh, up and out of that to a cloud facility is often really limited. So there have been people that have looked at using systems like VoltDB to do really intelligent data filtering at that 
and retail locations so that they can minimize redundant data that ship back over the cloud because they're bandwidth constrained. It's kind of hard to picture that, but uh, but that's the case in many of these in many of these situations. So I think it's certainly a a lot of interesting problems and in trying to figure out exactly even which industries, whether they're networking companies, database companies, device companies, uh, in in which tier of that stack they play in and how they all collide. It's a really challenging and, and fun thing to think through. So uh, I, I am the program director of a conference called Strata plus Hadoop World and inside this conference, which of which we have now five, believe it or not, yeah. uh, uh, one of the popular topics is IoT in real time. And mm -hmm. uh, I, you know, uh, at a simple level, right? So the typical stack looks like you have data sources like sensors, mobile devices, uh, and then you push that data through a messaging system. It could be something like Kafka. Mm -hmm. And then through a stream processing system of which Spark Streaming is probably the most popular. And then, uh, and then you start uh, loading that uh, data once you process it into an operational database like uh, Vault DB. So uh, is this kind of in line with what you're seeing? Uh, you know, yes and no. You know, we see a lot of people who want to write and support applications that the that the latency and, and throughput requirements of Spark Streaming just can't meet. And uh, and to be honest, we hear a lot of people who start with something like Spark and then realize that they, they need, in combination with that, the ability to store a large amount of data. You know, so if you think about it, you really, in many cases, to process these real-time streams, want to combine device state or uh, or collected user experience state together with the information that's arriving. And I think there's a lot of places where it makes sense to do some of the data flow style programming in a streaming system, maybe some of that signal analysis or um, you know, kind of like raw data processing. But very quickly in that real-time stream, you're going to need access to operational data. You're going to need to know what the last device state was. Is this a device that belongs to me or to someone else? Is it a commercial device or not? Where was it located last? Which direction is it moving in? All of these pieces of information are operational pieces of data that need to be available for lookup. And so you start finding some way to combine that real-time event processing. Here's my yeah, current but that, isn't that just that, so that operational state. What you're describing, it seems like uh, you're basically contextualizing the real-time stream, right? So kind of in a streaming yeah. join of some sort. Exactly. Yeah, so yeah, join is yeah. a simple example. Simple enrichment is an example. Sessionization is an example. These are all even relatively stateless when, when you think about them abstractly. When you look at these problems concretely, you realize that often there's long-term state that you need to keep, right? That, and you need that state to be accessible as part of that joint operation or as part of that contextualization or, or enrichment or augmentation. I think, I think all of our vendors all have different buzzwords they use for that process. Right, 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 right. Um... So, but I think it's a, it's a really interesting question. I think it's actually one of the main points of, of tension that we still feel in this architecture. People have found ways to store the data that they don't quite know what to do with yet, right? They, they, they understand how to run HDFS or equivalents as sort of cheap, cheap data storage. And they understand how to accelerate maybe more of the traditional OLAP reporting. They're beginning to understand the data science tools that give them access to explore those large data sets the reporting tools that can make the reporting efficient once that analysis has found an interesting hypothesis. But how to support that real-time application? What are the real requirements to support that real-time application? This is really still a point of tension. And I think that you're really seeing 
vendors come at it from two different directions and users kind of being trapped in the middle. There are vendors that are putting this forward as a pure streaming problem, saying it's really all about uh, kind of stateless event processing or data flow processing. And, and that's, that's what you should do. You should tolerate latency, write this data to Hadoop, and then essentially post-process or batch process it for your applicational or operational application. There are other vendors that say, no, if you really look at what this is, it's essentially an OLTP application that's just running really fast. And there might be some interesting data flows that you don't see in a traditional OLTP application. Like you might have incoming events that don't get responses directly, but they get their responses uh, you know, through perhaps a, a notification to a third party. But the transaction, the data interaction, the data that has to be looked up, the ability to combine a real-time event or a request with context, those are all OLTP aspects. And I think that's, that's really, I think, one of the main questions still to be ironed out in, in these platforms overall. Speaking of which, so where is the boundary between analysis and transactions in IoT? That's a really good question. I think that you do analysis for multiple reasons. And I, I think that the term analytics has, has been latched onto by so many different people in this space that it's really lost a lot of, of meaning as, as something that communicates an actual concept. So I, I look at it really as divided into a number of phases. And there's exploration against data that's largely data at rest. You're looking for a pattern, some hypothesis, some trend, prediction line, something. Once you find that, you're going to formalize that into some kind of a reporting process. Right? That, that, that could just be organizing data into a search index or a recommendation matrix, kind of the web 2.0 model. It could be training a machine learning model right, in a more modern IoT context. And then once you have that, you want to combine that historically generated expectation, sort of the wisdom that you've gained from your data, with real-time context. Now, whether you call that analytics or operations or transactions, I think uh, is always a little unclear. We think of that as the combination of streaming analytics with transactions at VoltDB. Uh, other people you know, who are maybe more OLAP-focused might not call that analytics. They might prefer to call it operations. I think it's really the pattern that's important, that cycle of collect, explore, analyze, and then act at the operational level. And once you have that cycle down, accelerating that cycle and automating it so that it's not something that happens quarterly or monthly, something that's an ongoing continuous process, it's really the next step is, is organizations evolve their big data capabilities. So do you, do you, so I guess uh, for people who aren't that familiar with VaultDB, so uh, I guess in, uh, what you mentioned there, uh, brought two things to mind. One is the notion of uh, analytics, which is basically, you know, uh, could be just real-time dashboards. Mm -hmm. But then there's also the notion of applications and mission-critical applications. Exactly. So, so I take it that VaultDB can do both. We certainly, yeah, we certainly focus at the analytics that are necessary to support those real-time applications. You know, when, when people come to me and ask, uh, do you do analytics or I want to do analytics, I usually just ask them, what do you want to use your analytics for? Right? If you're going to compute an answer, what are you going to use it for? And I think getting to that point is something that, that people need to think through really carefully. Like, If you're going to produce a report, if you're going to perform analytics, what's the outcome of that? What's the result? What's the impact? If those impacts uh, are things that are real-time and operational, that are in line with user experience, that are about real-time resource allocation or real-time policy or authorization enforcement. And VoltDB is often a, a wonderful platform to support those applications. If 
if the results are really about producing a report for an executive or making a strategic decision at an organizational level, right, then there are probably other tools that are better suited to that analytics problem. So, the, so I guess, uh, which brings me to a related question, which is the distinction between, I guess, real time and human real time. Yeah. You know, human in the loop. So. Well, I think these are converging. You know, we have a, a, a number of customers, I'll, I'll just use Imagine as, as an example here. Collectively, they perform billions and billions and billions of transactions on VoltDB databases every day. And they have a really interesting convergence of machine real-time and human real-time. So these are companies that do a kind of machine learning-based mobile advertising campaigns and prepaid mobile networks. And their goal is that by the time a user finishes a phone call, before they can put the phone back in their pocket, that they can show them an upsell or cross-sell or promotional or loyalty offer. And so they get basically 200 milliseconds from the time someone hangs up the phone to the time they put the phone back in their pocket to get that person's attention at the, at the point of kind of peak impact. So at that point, you're starting to see that the human timeframe and the machine timeframe aren't so horribly different. But this also goes back to what are you going to do with your analytics? If you're doing analytics in a, for example, in an electrical network and you can detect that some component is about to explode, you don't want to put that on a dashboard and wait for a person to react. You want to be able to write an operational application that can respond to that event in an automated way. Right? They can say, here's my defined policy. When a device exceeds this threshold under these circumstances, I need to shut it down or reroute it. I need to you know, turn off this machine so that it can be maintained before a more severe breakage occurs. At that point, you don't want human interaction. The important thing there is to encode that operational action into something that does happen at machine speed. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting question. I think it's not always clear cut whether you're operating at machine speed or human speed. There's cases where you need a human's attention, but you might have much less time to get it than you realize, not even full seconds. There are other cases where you simply can't wait for a human at all. You want to be able to react immediately. So we'll, I mean, uh, we've been talking about real time here, but uh, will there be a need for batch processing in the age of IoT? Oh, I, I think so, absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, I, I wish I came up with this metaphor. I, I really like it, but but someone that was, was working with me here at Volt came up with this a while ago. But it refers to batch processing, essentially accessing your wisdom or kind of understanding your wisdom, right? That all of that data we collect is sort of sits idly in our in our computers, sort of like like all of the things that we perceive sit sort of idly in our memory. Oh, and no, every... you, you can go ahead and use the term data lake. Data lake, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so all the stuff that sits in that data lake, it's sort of our memory, right? Our collective memory. And we want to mine that for wisdom. And in that that mining process, it's important that it's interactive from a user's perspective, right? We want people to be able to sit and work with that data in a way that's natural. We don't want them to wait minutes or hours to get results. But probably what's happening is large scans of information, kind of protracted scans of from that data lake and and that's always going to look like a batch process essentially or at least as a large query evaluation process which is it's going to be executing substantially non-real-time scans against that data lake. which actually i mean i think there's because uh uh people are kind of coalescing around uh, uh the notion of uh, making their systems simpler you mm -hmm. know there's the notion of uh of these hybrid systems that can do batch and 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 uh, real-time processing in fact uh, 
for some people they object to the notion of uh, distinguishing between uh, these two systems they just distinguish between the two types of data right so bounded and unbounded uh, yeah I think that that's I don't know I, this is something I've thought about a lot I think that they're not right <laughs> essentially so first of all I, I know that uh, especially some of the Google Dataflow folks have written I think very intelligent and and very well for thought me, man for me, critiques for me. <laughs> and, uh, about unbounded data processing yeah. um, I think that I think that really you're seeing multiple application types, and that it's important to consider the application uh, in addition to in addition to just the processing that's done, because there's really two types of applications, right? There's applications that are just computation against essentially one piece of state or one incoming event, and then there are applications that really need combining lots of information together. Uh, there are applications that are extremely sensitive to data arriving in order. There are applications that only need to order data, for example, at a billing boundary. Right? Those need a cutoff. All of these different applications essentially push to different engines. There are different, different types of query engines that are, are optimized for real reasons, right? For, because there's actual physical differences in the way data is optimally processed. And I, I don't know. I, I think we may end up in a situation where there are multiple database engines that are facaded by a common query, by a common UI. I think that makes sense, but I think that I mean, the to some data extent, processing is yeah, individualized. Actually, to some extent, that's what data flow is, right? So, of course, you still choose the runner. Is this going to be batch or streaming? But yeah. I, I think, I mean, the, I guess what I was getting at is that there might be, uh, there might not be a uh, complete convergence of these systems, but there will be systems that can uh, kind of be eighty percent as good. In either direction, in which case uh, some people may opt for that just for uh, simplicity. I think that if your system is largely about computation of analytics, then you might see a convergence in these spaces. I think if your application is about policy enforcement, transactional operational applications, you won't. You'll you'll need some kind of an operational database to support that application. There are interesting examples of this that, that we can point to. So, for example, we have a very simple application that we ship in our in our kit. We call it Voter, and it just simulates sort of a, a cheesy, some like American Idol call-in game. And it enforces a very simple policy that every phone number can vote a maximum of three times, and then it produces a real-time result on which candidate has which score. Uh, there's also some validation that occurs in this application about phone number to zip code and some other things, just some simple some simple evaluation. So this application is a combination of maintaining some real-time aggregation, maintaining some real-time state, and enforcing some simple policy against call-in numbers. If you write this on a database, it's you know maybe 30 lines of DDL and, and 10 or 15 lines of SQL. If you look at the Kinesis example that Amazon's published that does essentially the same thing, it almost it's, it's thousands of lines of Java with concurrent locking and user code, and it still doesn't manage to actually get the richness of the application that you can get from a database. Now, they're just applications that aren't meant to be solved in a streaming way. They're fundamentally about managing state. They're about state mutation. Maybe that's another way to talk about this is if you have an application that's largely one of updating, uh, then you probably don't want to solve that with a streaming system because that streaming system is going to have some pool of state that it needs to drive updates to. And if you've separated the computation of what that update should be from the storage and the metadata of how that 
uh, data is is managed, then you've created a very bad database system. You've extracted and, and, and separated your query processing and metadata management too far from your data, from a, from a database architecture perspective. Right, right. Uh, I think I think what you're pointing out there is that uh, uh, I think people sometimes confuse kind of uh, analytics and transactions and the notion of real time and batch in 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 those two systems are very different. I agree, and, and you know I think it's it is really a hard issue. I feel like it's not um, a topic that I've quite found a simple way to to enunciate. But I'm really glad you you brought it up. I think it's an important point of discussion and you know I hope that people who listen to the podcast I'd love to hear their thoughts on this I think it's a conversation a broader conversation that we should be having and and I don't think as a as a system of practice we've quite figured out how to articulate it clearly yet but uh, it's a great conversation to have so um, IOT itself does does IOT um, require or kind of uh, is IOT uh, inspiring people to develop uh, a different set of best practices as far as the data management? You know, I, I would love to say yes, but I think the answer is that they're really just evolving the big data practices that they've learned, right? What we really see is really a continuity. And we see a continuity of, of, kind of reference architecture for big data across IoT, across you know, non-IoT oriented verticals, really just seeing those core data management requirements uh, in all of these cases. I, I think some of the things that are, are really interesting in that space are trying to understand how do you handle stateful services in a SaaS deployment? What does that mean to sort of a microservices style architecture? Uh, how, how, do you, how do you really work with data services in a way that, that manages continuous deployment? How do you figure out the responsibilities for data at the edge versus data that should be centralized? There's a lot of architectural uh, thought and and I think best practices that remain to be evolved and, and sort of codified through our experience. But I think when people look at the data management platforms, what the core requirements are, they don't differ too much from IoT to even like big financial apps to big data apps in general. So we talked a little bit earlier about cloud. So what are you hearing about enterprise adoption uh, for cloud technologies? I, it's, you know, no, it's, no, I guess, I guess, uh, not just cloud technologies, but just uh, cloud computing. So you you can use your technology in the cloud, in other words. Yeah, you know, it's actually you asked that, and I thought, wow, I haven't I haven't really thought about that. It's become so automatic to assume that people will cloud deploy a lot of these services, or that they'll they'll deploy them either so on premise. even uh, even kind of uh, large enterprises in what some may refer to as conservative verticals. Yeah, and even those enterprises are taking some of the deployment best practices from the cloud and internalizing them in their own infrastructure, right? And so I don't really think a lot about the difference between on-prem and, and in cloud, right? We look at that as a really similar set of requirements and the requirements are becoming more and more the same. By the way, Ryan, is hybrid, uh, is that a real thing? I mean, do people really have hybrid on-prem cloud? Uh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask about that. We should go find a, an EMC person and ask them that question. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like, uh, I I mean, people talk a lot about it, but I don't. I you don't. know, what we at Vault see more is there's a fair number, a fair amount of our business comes from people who OEM VoltDB into platforms. And a lot of those OEM platforms will are configured, as I think as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, to either run in cloud or to run on-prem. They're sort of ambivalent to that, right? They're 
they're capable of being operated in either environment. That's so I kind of think of that as more of what I see, which isn't, of course, what what people talk about in terms of hybrid cloud. But but I think it just goes to the point that it's just a, an extremely viable deployment option. And if it's not your default, it's, it's probably something you're considering anyway. So. So in, in, I guess in closing, uh, we devoted a lot of this podcast to IoT and in many ways, uh, we in the data space have been talking about IoT for a few years, but uh, based on what you're saying, it sounds like uh, uh, we're really on the verge of seeing really interesting applications. I certainly think so. Yeah, I, I think that uh, I think it could be that the IoT pattern is really the way that we find value in big data. A lot of people have built big data platforms, have spent a lot of money, invested a lot of time and capital into building out those platforms. And I think if you ask someone what's really the killer app that brings value to that investment, I think a lot of times that's going to come back to something that looks like IoT. Great. Well, uh, thank you for joining us today. All right, Ben, and thank you. And I, I, I feel bad. It's my, you got me to do all the talking, and uh, I, I wish I could have heard some of your, more of your opinions. I hope we can catch up again and, and maybe have a, a more balanced conversation over a beer or something. So.